Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is a fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm. Amen. While you have breath, 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Many times I've been asked or I've asked someone else, what happened yesterday? And people will say, hmm, I don't remember. We remember very little. Every day runs into the next day. It's a constant stream that we're flowing in our life. But God works with cause and effect. I was awakened early one morning and I began to review in my mind all the dumb things I've done. The stupid decisions I've made. And believe me, there are quite a number of very foolish decisions that I've made in my life that have resulted in great turmoil and pain for me. Even hurting other people. I began to review those cases where I have acted. I began to see a a pattern a pattern of of putting myself and my interests first and putting God's interest second or third. As I thought about that, I began to review some of the biblical characters that I admire and love so much. One of those biblical characters is Abram. He is called to leave his country and his people and his father's household and go to the land that he will be shown. And a promise is given to him. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. An astonishing promise. So verse 4 of of Genesis 12. So Abraham or Abram left as the Lord had told him. Now, the sentence would have been great had it ended right there. But it doesn't end there. And Lot went with him. Abraham is 75 years old. He's old enough to know better. God told him to go and told him to leave his family behind. 
He doesn't do that. He takes Lot with him. He arrives in the land. And of course, one of God's ways is to test him. Particularly because he's brought Lot with him. So he arrives and there's famine in the land. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. That wasn't by chance. God knew that he was sending Abram to Cana land. He was told, leave your family behind. Instead, he takes his family with him. We could even go back further and look at at how he brought his father with him and then stopped in Ur of the Chaldees and didn't go any further until daddy died. Abraham had a hard time obeying God. He he wanted to do what he thought was best, regardless of what God told him or did not tell him. I recognize I've done the same. So, because there's a famine... He moves his family to Egypt. And he says to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, he's supposed to go to the promised land, and in the promised land, he's to have a child. But he gives away the very one with whom he was to have that child. So, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. She was taken into his palace, and he treated Abram well for her sake. He's putting himself ahead of his wife. He's taking care of Abram. Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and, and camels. But the Lord, looking down on this, says, No, 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 no. This is wrong. So the Lord, it says in verse 17, this is Genesis twelve seventeen. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Abram, so Pharaoh summoned Abram and he said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh kicks him out of Egypt. The next part of the story, chapter 13, Lot is still with him. 
But there's trouble between them. They finally separate. Now, the next dumb thing that Abraham does, chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. God had promised them a child, a child of promise. But they can't wait for God. They've got to do it on their own. So, it says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agrees. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. She slept with Hagar, and she conceived. That was simply dumb. It was against the Lord. It was for his own pleasure. It was for his own ability to have a son. Now there's real trouble in the household. Some of you have set your life up, as I have, to have trouble. And when trouble comes, we don't remember the dumb things we did before that to set ourselves up. The dumb things we've said and done, the actions we've taken that now result in God having to move in our lives and bring us a great deal of anguish and pain and trouble. Because we live so much in the present that we think what we do in the present is not going to influence the future. But God looks at it above time. He sees each foolish thing that we do in disobedience to him. And finally, he will bring to us a piercing, a testing And that testing will determine the outcome of our life and where we will spend eternity. In chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old. The Lord appears to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram falls face down and God says to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. As for you, Abraham, you must keep my covenant, 
you and your descendants after you for generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. See, the promise is given before the circumcision. But what is the circumcision? The clipping of the foreskin of the male penis. Why? To say clearly to us as men, you cannot produce yourself. What you produce must come from the hand of God. What you produce must come from the hand of God. And what you produce will be full of darkness if it flows out of your own heart. So don't make decisions on your own. Don't take actions on your own. Trust in the Lord. Wait upon him for clear direction. Part of what got Abraham into such trouble and caused him to make such utterly foolish decisions time after time was that he put his self-interest ahead of his God. I have to do this. I have to survive. How can I survive if I don't take this action? It's the wisest course of action. I have to do this. No, you don't. No, you don't. Do you understand? You have a cup. And when you fill that cup up with dumb, stupid actions, God will finally come and administer a test, a piercing, so painful. Because once and for all, he wants to know what's in your heart. Now, we had the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That comes next. Abraham has seen what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah. He has seen the result of wickedness. There should no, there should be no question in his heart about what he's doing or why he's doing it. But he still has room in his heart for another stupid action. Now, some of you may be insulted by my calling Abraham doing stupid actions. But believe me, the Bible is always transparent. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we have to look at our own lives and see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, God has made some amazing promises to me for revival at the end time. He showed me visions. Now, one of the things that I've had to do is go into the prayer closet and say, Lord God of heaven, I have made such foolish decisions on this journey with you. Are you still going to keep your promise to me? Or are you going to set me aside because I have been utterly foolish before you?
I have made wicked choices for myself, and I have shamed your name with foolishness. And so, Lord, do your promises still stand? Yes. He's assured me his promises still stand. And I must, I must wait upon the Lord and not do something dumb and foolish again, but to wait on the Lord and to obey his voice. Or he will cancel those promises. I'm I'm telling you now. Some of you have wondered, Pastor, why do you come and speak so forthrightly to us? Because I love you. And I see how utterly stupid and foolish many of my decisions have been. And I don't want you to continue making the same kinds of decisions. I've been asking various people, have you made any stupid decisions? One person said, stupid is as stupid does. (laughs) Yes. I've not talked with anyone yet who says I haven't made any stupid decisions. They all agree they too have made foolish choices that have resulted in pain for them or for others. I had a a businessman who was in my church many, many years ago. We were sitting in a restaurant. Two wealthy businessmen were with me. And I needed to share with them that I'd made it a decision, and I had gone $4,000 in debt with the church, and I needed to tell them about it and get direction from them on how to handle this. This man's name was Fred, and Fred looked at me and he said, Pastor, you have lousy judgment. I said, okay, how do I get good judgment? Learning from your mistakes. Learning from your mistakes. Don't repeat them. Don't do it again. And then he pulled out his checkbook, and the other man pulled out his checkbook, and they wrote each a check for $2,000 and covered my $4,000 error in judgment and warned me not to do it again. I've never done it again. <laughs> I learned it was embarrassing. How do you get good judgment? By learning from your mistakes and not making those same choices and decisions again. I know some people who make the same foolish decision over and over and over. They never learn. Some of you listening today have brought much pain into your life. 
because you won't learn the lesson and turn away from your foolish choices. You keep going in debt or you keep smoking that weed or you keep doing those drugs. You keep drinking the alcohol. Some of you have multiple DWIs because you keep getting drunk and then drive and say, oh, this time I won't get caught until you do, and then you go to jail. Some of you have affairs after affairs. You never learn the bitterness of an illicit affair. Some of you are shacked up with somebody you're not married to. That's a very foolish decision. It's a stupid decision. It's a decision that begs the judgment of God to come upon your life. And it will come if God loves you. If he hasn't already said you filled your cup of iniquity and I'm just going to let you live out your wicked life and then you're going to go to hell. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Okay, let's go back to the story. I'm going to show you one last stupid thing that Abraham does. Genesis, the 20th chapter. Abraham moves to Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, in less than a year, they're due to have a baby. God has promised them, within a year you'll have a baby. So here, Abraham is totally blowing away the word of the living God to him. And he's casting his wife out of his family, and she's gone now to Abimelech, the king, as his wife. Now, because God is so merciful, and because he cares... He steps into this wickedness and he gives Abimelech a dream. And he said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she say also, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be very sure that you and all of yours will die. Well, early the next morning, Abimelech summons all of his officials. 
and when he told them all what had happened, they were very, very much afraid. And then Abimelech calls Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should not be done. Remember, this is the wicked world speaking to God's man of the hour. Doesn't it break your heart? At the same time, doesn't it put a thrill through your soul that God cares so much for us that he'll even step into a wicked person's heart and have them confront us and say, why have you done this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is no fear of God in this place. Ah, Abraham apparently has no fear of God. For he's the one who did it. He said, they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not by my mother. And she became my wife. Oh, he's very defensive. Not becoming to a man at his age and in his place, in his position with God. Do you find yourself becoming defensive when you've done something foolish? Stupid? Do you defend your actions? Well, Bimelech brought sheep and cattle, male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you'd like. He's afraid of God. But Abraham's not afraid of God. I just hear some of you, you call yourself a Christian, but you have no fear of God. You think God loves you unconditionally. You think you're good to go. And you've been deceived. You still walk in your sin with no fear of God, lukewarm or cold of heart. And you think that's okay. But oh, the wicked president and the wicked Congress and the wicked over here and the wicked over there, everybody, but not you. And yet you're making foolish choices that show you think you can move where you want to move. You can change jobs when you want to change jobs. You can go here. You can go there. You can take this vacation. You can go over here on this cruise. You can go over here and and have this entertainment. You can do whatever you want to do. You think. Please hear what I'm saying to you today. With God, everything matters. And you're building up a cup that will force God at some point to stop you and to put you in a situation that will pierce you through to test and see what is the real position of your heart. Because I have to tell you, if I just stopped right here, if I just stopped right here and I said, How do I stand with God? 
how does Abraham stand with God? I'd say Abraham is very selfish, self-centered, concerned about himself more than he is God, concerned about himself more than he is the work of God. Would you serve your self-interest before you would serve the interest of God? God's been very clear with Abraham about what he'll do for him, what his promises are for him. But Abraham still thinks he's he's free to protect himself. God has said to him, I am your shield and your very great reward. Oh, but Abraham blows that off and says, no, I've got to preserve my life. So, uh, Sarah was probably pregnant when she went to this king. Probably already pregnant with Isaac. Maybe not showing yet, but she was probably pregnant. Does Abraham care? No, he has a son. He has Ishmael. What he's produced through his own wickedness. Abraham is our father, isn't he? <laughs> Abraham is our father. Well, the next chapter, chapter 21, Isaac is born. And then we come to the most dreadful chapter of Abraham's life. Everything has piled up to the sky. And God is now tired of this. And he's saying, I'm going to have to check very carefully where Abraham's heart is. Because as it stands now, God's not going to fulfill his promise through Abraham. And so it says in chapter 22, verse 1, God tested Abraham. Now that word tested in the Septuagint is God pierced. God pierced Abraham. In other words, God wounded Abraham. Potentially a wound unto death. Please hear me. You can live your whole life calling yourself a Christian, but filling up your cup with foolish and wicked choices that you forget about because you only live in the present. I know people who who live so much in the present, they can't remember anything of the past except some trauma. They don't understand why perhaps a spouse died. They were never reflective enough to understand that it was God's judgment on that spouse and upon them as well. God will pierce you. 
Now, this word pierced also has another meaning. To light up. To light up. In other words, God is coming and he is going to pierce you and he's going to put all the spotlights of heaven on you. And everyone is going to see who you are, really who you are. I tell you what, who are you really? If God were to pierce you today and turn the floodlights of heaven upon your life and all of heaven is watching you, what will they see? I love Abraham. Because when he's pierced and the floodlights are turned upon him, he comes through as gold. But oh, it's a bloody gold. God says, Abraham, he knows the voice of God. He's sat and ate with God. He's eaten with God. He's he's fellowshiped with God. He knows the sound of voice of his God. All God says is, Abraham, he answers, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Does that make your your heart shake and tremble within you. Take that which is most precious to you and put it on the altar and kill it. Take that which is which is the fruit of your life, your hope and your dreams. Lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. Now, Abraham has to decide. Is the God of heaven first in my life, or is my son first in my life? What is first in your life? What if God says, lay your entertainment on the altar? Lay your family on the altar. Lay your money on the altar. Lay your lifestyle on the altar. Lay your house. Lay your health. Everything on the altar. Be a living martyr, but I might kill you. <laughs> See, Abraham did not go thinking, God doesn't really mean what he says. 
He knew God spoke as he meant to speak. Don't imagine that God will not cost you everything. You love that woman, and you want to marry her, but she's not a Christian. Or you love that man, and he's not a Christian. Should you marry him? The word of the God of heaven comes and says, Lay that man, lay that woman on the altar. Now, what will that mean for you? Giving up the one opportunity to have the love of your life? Are you willing to do that for God? Are you willing to lay on the altar that which you love the most? Now, Abraham has been brought to this time and to this piercing because of the many foolish choices he has made, because of stupid actions in the past. And God finally has to pierce him. Turn the floodlights on. And say, okay, Abraham, let's see what your heart really is. Could you pass the test? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship there and we will come back to you. The Apostle Paul tells us, Hebrews tells us, that he took a position. This is the son of promise. I will do as God has directed me. I will slay my son. But because God's word is that this is the son of promise, I'm trusting that God will resurrect my son. He'd never seen this happen before. He'd never heard of it happening before. But he stood by faith on the God he knew and on the word of the God he knew. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Well, you and I today know that he did provide the lamb. He provided his son instead of Abraham's son. And he did not withhold the knife. 
Jesus was pierced, though he was sinless. And he died on that cross, naked, abused, broken, whipped, spit upon, filthy. He died for you and me. God did provide the lamb for the burnt offering. But can you imagine the pain and the anguish of Abraham's soul as he speaks thus to his son? They reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, did Isaac know what was happening before he was bound? I don't know. Did Abraham explain to him what was going to happen and what he should expect? That he should expect the knife to pierce his chest or to cut his throat? And that then he should expect to be resurrected because he is the son of promise. He reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. No more defensiveness. No more justifications. No more excuses. He's come to the absolute end of himself. And when he comes to the end, he utterly, totally, and completely submits himself to the word of the living God. Now, I would not expect Abraham to do this He has shown a proclivity to protect himself, to preserve his life. This son, Isaac, is his life. Understand, to kill Isaac is to kill him. But he lays his son on that altar, perhaps with tears and terror. As he's raising the knife, the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Notice it does not say, I know that you love God. No, it's, I know that you fear God. I 
I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. God knows that you fear him when you will put your self-interest aside and sacrifice yourself for the living God of heaven and say, I will do what you've told me that I must do. You may pierce me through. You may light me up. I will do what you tell me to do. No more strategizing. No more lies. No more deception. He's come through in victory. Oh, I want to come through in victory. You have a pattern in your life. What is that pattern? Some of you have a pattern of righteousness along coupled along with some very foolish decisions. Some of you have a pattern of constant rebellion and being called back to God. And you wonder, this time, will God carry me through? Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Not because I have a covenant with you, but because you have obeyed me. You have put me ahead of every other interest You're not going to go. You're not going to do. You're not going to be anything except what I've called you to go and do and be. Look at Romans, the 12th chapter. Read the first few verses. We're called to be on that altar burnt offering right now. To lay your life down for Jesus. Are you still holding out on him? Or is all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Have you set your life up to be full of trouble? Have you gone from one crisis to another? All of that will be resolved when God finally pierces you and gives you the test. Will you serve the living God of heaven? Now, I do tell you, the next thing that happened is his wife, Sarah, dies, and he's heartbroken. What I'm saying to you today is not to spare you from pain and anguish. It was pain and anguish to have Sarah die, finally. 
But when you do the will of God, when you lay your life down, when you obey him, the Lord will provide. Almighty God, you have provided for us the most precious gift of heaven and earth. Thank you, Jesus, for your precious blood. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, my brother and my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I invite you to come on Sunday. Join us if you have the courage. If you want Jesus. You're willing to lay it down. I also want to invite you to give online. Thank you, Dirk and the many others who have given. Thank you. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Well, we're out of time for today. Tomorrow is a day of prayer. I invite you to join us for intense time of prayer. I love you. I want to meet you. I'll talk to you soon. Through Jesus.